All right, uh, welcome here again with our continuation of our study of the book of Mark. Uh, for those of you watching online, I just want to say uh, Thursdays, we've got a lot going on here. We've got our divine service in the morning at 7. Then afterwards we have a uh, pastor's Bible class going over Martin Kimmett's book. And then what's really cool is we've been having a breakfast afterwards in between pastor's class and this class. And this morning we had uh, chorizo burritos, which... Is, uh, takes me back to my hometown of Albuquerque. So, uh, for those of you who are watching online, you do not know what you're missing. So, that means, and it actually smells really good in here this morning. So, okay, all right. So we're going to delve into Mark here. Just a quick uh, refresher: what we did last week, uh, moving again along uh, through Mark chapter one. We'll finish that today and get into Mark chapter two. You recall last time we talked about Jesus calling uh, his first four disciples. That was Simon, which we know is Peter, his brother Andrew, and then the sons of Zebedee, James and John. So there's four. Uh, we continue to look at this word immediately, kind of throughout the scriptures. We're seeing Mark's using it in meeting and the calling of the twelve. And we'll see this theme continue through the book of Mark, this immediacy. Uh, first here we're seeing that the disciples immediately leave and follow Jesus. Again, there is an urgency to Mark's gospel that we'll see throughout it. Really, the emergency is getting Jesus to where he ends and the, the purpose is on the cross. So we'll see that theme, this immediacy motif again throughout Mark. Uh, we also then looked at Jesus' first encounter with those kind of on the outside, so to speak, as he went into Capernaum and in the synagogue and was teaching. Remember, there uh, that's when he's, he was in there teaching with authority that we talked about, the Greek word exousion, and his authority compared to the scribes that they were there in the synagogue. And, comparing him. and then how then we talked about, remember these people then are just astonished at his teaching. And of course, we know why. But I think that they're starting to, to see this, as other, and you'll see this as we progress. Uh, we then looked at just immediately, again, that word immediately thereafter. Remember the unclean spirit. Um, uh, right after Jesus is, is teaching immediately this unclean spirit, and then um, uh, Jesus uh, merely speaks and the demon flees. We talked about that. And then we talked about, then the next thing he does, go to Peter's house and the mother-in-law and heals the mother-in-law and then is healing other, lots of other sick people. So that's kind of where we've left off last time. So that being said, why don't we open with an invocation and prayer and then we'll move on. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing the, kind of the Jesus is here our initial ministry as he's becoming known throughout this region of Galilee. And I'll talk more about that here in a bit. I've got a map on it. So let's start then where we, we left off. Um, uh, Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 35. So again, as I've been doing, we're just going to kind of take each one of these sections 
as kind of it's been as it's been outlined in our study Bibles and other Bibles on these big topics. So now we're we're, we're talking about Jesus preaches in Galilee, and I'll read this section and then we'll come back through it, talk about it. And uh, okay, so uh, chapter one, verse thirty-five. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, meaning Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, who's Peter, and those who were with him, searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And then he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Kind of, again, what we talked about, this we've already seen him doing this, right? Preaching. So, and preaching and casting out demons. Okay. So let's take this a little bit slowly here. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So recall just before this, this was Jesus was healing many, so, and this, we had to think, had to go into the nighttime. So then Jesus has this, and then it's now night, and then we hear that while it was still dark, um, Jesus leaves, okay, leaves. And, and, and he leaves the house, and he went into a solitary place to pray. I want to spend a little bit of time on this, if that's okay. This idea of Jesus praying, we, we think about it, what, what Jesus is God, but Jesus is praying, is praying. So it may seem strange to us that Jesus, the actual Son of God, felt the, it necessary to just spend time in prayer. But what was he doing? You know, he's communicating with his Heavenly Father. And as we go on and we see and we see this other, uh, out the other Gospels, Jesus prays a lot. And usually it's sometimes he's praying specifically with what's going on with his ministry. But on this idea of prayer then, here he's preaching, I think it says, because, you know, in this type of context, he's praying because he's, he's going to preach the gospel, the kingdom of throughout Galilee, uh, in communication with his heavenly Father. But we got to remember, even though we know that Jesus is fully God, right, fully divine, He's also man, and I think this is part of the, uh, his humanity side, praying, praying with his Father. His prayers were keeping him in communion or in communication with his Father in heaven. Um, I think because of then the divinity of Jesus, we cannot say that really that his prayers was kind of the root of his power. I think we know that the root of his power is come from his divine nature. But again, <clears throat> the Son of Man... Still, in his man, in his humanity, is somewhat dependent on his Father in all things. And this is why we see him praying. Uh, this is why he prayed and, and he voiced his obedient love and his perfect accord with his Father. Okay. But on this idea, I, I was thinking about this prayer more and why Jesus was praying. I think what I've just stated or, or what the common commentary is saying, what uh, most theologians believe. <clears throat> I do want to recommend this book, though. This is a book called uh, Let Us Pray. It's a study of prayer and the devotional life. And it was written by uh, one of the former, uh, it was a Missouri Synod Lutheran presidents, Dr. Al Berry, who actually died 
um, a number of years ago, and then uh, then after him came President Kishnick and then uh, President Harrison, so that kind of puts the timeline. I believe he wrote this book in the 80s, but it's really a good book. <clears throat> you can Google it and get it from Amazon, I saw. Uh, so it's really good. It's, about the, uh, it's just about prayer, and he gives examples of prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then kind of... Um, some doctrinal positions on prayer. It's really good uh, if you're really interested in it. But the, what I want to do is just because this is such a good little section, I just, I'm just i going to read a little bit about this uh, on in, in, in our context about Jesus and him praying. So uh, Dr. Barry uh, writes, Prayer in the Life of Our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes, There is no better model of prayer and the devotional life than that of our own Dear Lord Jesus Christ, this is very fascinating. If you were to go through the four Gospels, placing a check mark in the margin every time you find a reference to prayer, such as when the Lord went apart by himself to pray, which we're talking about, right? Uh, encouraged the disciples to pray, told a parable involving prayer, etc. I believe that you would be amazed at the number of check marks you would find in the margin of your Bible once you finished. I went through the Gospels a few years ago, and every time I found a reference to prayer, I simply pinned the word prayer at the top of the page. If you were to look at my Bible, you would see that the word on many, many, that word on many pages. You certainly cannot read through the four Gospels without recognizing what an important role prayer played in the early life of the Master, who's Jesus, in his dealings with others and in his teaching ministry, which what we're seeing here. Not only did he set a personal example of prayer, but he also actively encouraged others to use the dynamic of prayer in this life. Um, Jesus walking to the Gospel of Luke reveals this to be so. When he was baptized, remember he was praying as heaven opened and the Holy Spirit dependent, descended upon him like a dove. We are told that our Lord often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Making time for prayer was a high priority for Jesus. We read that on occasion he would go, quote, out to a mountainside to pray, and we'll see that more. Remember uh, Transfiguration and uh, other mountains? And he would spend the night praying to God. We know that he would pray privately and often. Great, event in our, great events in our Lord's ministry occurred during these times when he was in prayer. For instance, the transfiguration occurred when he went upon a mountain to pray. Um, and then uh, Dr. Barry goes on and writes, Once when he was praying, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And you know that's how we got the Lord's Prayer, right? He gave this prayer not merely as a model or pattern, but as a prayer actually to be said. Um, our Lord uh, Jesus was concerned not only to model prayer in his own life, but in, to instruct his followers on what true prayer is all about. So I thought this is some really good writing that Dr. Barry has on this, um, about all the times that Jesus prayed, what's he doing, what's going on. So I think we can look at it two ways. We can look at the first way I talked about, with the divine and human. He's in communication with his Father, the human side. Um, but then also, there's, this is stuff to show us, too, uh, how Jesus lived his life praying that, that we do too. So I think that's kind of the importance of prayer. But again, anyone interested in this, a study of prayer and the devotional life written by uh, Reverend Dr. A. L. Perry, period Barry. So good book on that. 
Okay, so we talked about prayer then in verse 35. There he prayed. He was in a decent place, and there he prayed. Okay, so then we go on here. So Jesus is out by himself. Now what happens? And Simon, who is Peter, and those who were, were with him searched for him. Okay, so that's this kind of interesting. Let's talk about this. Simon, Peter, searched for him. Of course, then I guess the, maybe the, the disciples went to bed. They wake up or whatever. Jesus isn't there. They maybe freak out. Uh, what's going on? I think this text does kind of imply that they were really, there was an earnest, ancient, uh, kind of anxious seeking about Jesus. Um, and another thing to think about, too, is, is, is we see throughout the text of, of the Gospels and what the disciples are do. Isn't it funny how the disciples, something, Jesus does something kind of freak out or something. It kind of shows that the, the disciples kind of always think that they have this plan for Jesus, right? But, but we know that Jesus has his own plan. And here, kind of here we can kind of see it a little bit, you know, humoristically, I think. Disciples kind of freak out where he is. But again... Um, so then we see here that Simon and those who are with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. So remember before this, there was crowds in this area, crowds. I Presumably everybody goes home, goes to bed, but then the crowds are showing up early. Jesus isn't there. Disciples are freaking out, okay? So um, another thing that's important, I think, here is that we notice it, we always... Mark then is going to always kind of single out Simon or Peter, and we're going to see this throughout Mark. Again, he said Simon and those who are with him. It, it's it, this kind of early indication of the prominence of Peter. Okay, so and we'll see a lot more about Peter throughout this gospel. But then also recall that um, at the very beginning of the class, how I talked about that Mark. Uh, probably wrote this gospel based on what Peter taught him and was with Peter. So, again, writing this, Mark writing it with somewhat of an emphasis on Peter. So we see it again and again. It's Peter and those following him, okay? Um, let's see. So, and Simon and those who were with them searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you, okay? And then he said to them, let us go to the next towns, and I may preach there also, for that is what I came out. That is why I came out. So, can okay, they find Jesus. They inform him that all these people are searching for him. And again, look at this kind of this human picture we see here. Uh, the disciples, you know, they're kind of freaked out he's not there. Then all these people, they show up. And now they, I think you kind of read into it that they're somewhat a little miffed maybe or kind of arguing just with Jesus by, by saying, everyone is looking for you, right? <laughs> Can you kind of see the little bit of that, that going on there? What they're saying is, you know, why did you leave us? You've got all these people. What are you doing? Of course, kind of this motif of the disciples think they know what they're doing and maybe Jesus' handler, so to speak. But, you know, Jesus is not really influenced by this, this, this stuff. Um, he, they say, let us, he says, everyone is looking for you. Another implication of that is, is they want Jesus to return back uh, to the house there and to that area. But, of course, Jesus says, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to return to Capernaum. Uh, he wants to go to other places and, and says, we're going to go. And, again, this is this Jesus 
didn't want to just stay in the friendly confines of here of Capernaum, which we know that he's done this stuff now, has this big from this huge crowd. He wants to go. He wants to go out into the region. So, and why does he want to go? This is this is this is this is again over and over. We're seeing this in Mark. I stressed it from the very beginning. Verse thirty-eight. Jesus says, "Let's go to the next towns." He wants to go out. Why? That I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And again, as we discussed about some of the healings and stuff earlier, uh, the healings were kind of this secondary consideration of what's going on here. Uh, And that was kind of intended merely to confirm the word. But again, the focus here is, as we talked about, even in Mark 1.1, it's about the word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that's what it is. The focus, again, is on this word, this preaching, in this case, proclaiming. Okay? So, the term here, preach. Let us go to the next town that I may preach there also. It's a Greek, Greek word, caruso. It can also be uh, translated as to proclaim. So, it's this preaching and proclaiming. So, again, it's this emphasis on proclamation. This confirms who Jesus is, kind of as even a prophetic figure. Um, again, again, this is mainly Jesus out proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, as we talked about. So, any questions on any of that so far? Okay. So, the disciples think they have one plan, but, of course, Jesus wants it has another, and we'll see that throughout. And then what happens after that? He says, hey, come on, let's go. We're going to go so I can preach. That's why I came out. And then in verse 39, we see that. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And we saw before what we've seen this before earlier in Mark, and it continues to happen here. He's preaching to them. Of course, he's preaching with one, but with authority, who we've talked about. And then he's also casting out demons, showing that he does have this power. All right. Um, let's see. So again, Jesus kind of is, I think, see this when he goes out. I think this is kind of a, you see it kind of as a tour. He's already, he's already got an attraction, so now he's going to go. People are really going to start knowing he's, he's on this tour of the gospel, so to speak. Um, preaching this good news, this message of salvation, which is his emphasis here. But then again, it says in casting out demons, but he's also dealing with the fundamental forces that are opposed to him and his message of salvation. That's what he's dealing with. So, okay. All right. Any further thoughts or anything else you guys want to add on this, what happened here? We good? Okay. So now let's go into a very, really cool passage here. Jesus cleanses a leper. Okay? So it's a verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 40 through, what does it go through? 45. So if that's okay, I'll read it, and then we'll come back through it uh, like we've been doing here. So chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, that's Jesus, imploring him, Jesus, And kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, I will, comma, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for you for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But the leper went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him for every quarter. All right, Jesus cleansing the leper here. So start with the first we see here. It was on this trip here then when they're, when they, after they just leave Galilee, they're, they're going to go into the further regions of Galilee. And right off the bat on this trip, this leper comes up to him. Uh, leprosy, I'm sure um, if you know, it's, it's in Scripture, covers kind of this, this leprosy. It's, it's kind of a wide variety of skin diseases. Whatever form it took, however, it was very contagious. It was hideous, painful, most often incurable. So this was not just some like eczema or something. This was a serious skin disease, right? And it would kill people. It could be lethal, okay? Um, so during the, these times and, and earlier times in the Old Testament, we, 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 leprosy is talked about. Um, those that had leprosy became social outcasts. They were sent out of town. They couldn't be in the towns. They certainly couldn't come into the temple to worship. Um, interesting. Some believe that God was punishing that particular individual um, that was afflicted by this disease because of sin or something. And um, so we're going to look at the Levitical on it here in a minute because it's referenced here. But um, under the Levitical law, when you had leprosy, when you're an outcast, um, if someone was approaching you, the burden was on you under the law, you the leper, to cry out, unclean, unclean. And again, that was on the leper. And if you didn't do that, you violated a law punishable by death. So there was a burden upon the leper, not only to be out of the town, but if people, if he saw anyone, he or she saw anyone coming to them, Levitical law required that the leper cry out, unclean, unclean, to do so to keep these people away from him, right? Because this was very contagious disease. You know, they should have required that for us during COVID, to yell unclean. <laughs> unclean, unclean. Okay. So then look here, the leper. Look, let's look at this, this, the urgency here we see, his behavior. What does he do? He immediately comes to him, right? What is that? That kind of triggers something. So whoever got a leper is supposed to be out, supposed to say unclean. The leper just immediately comes to Jesus. Okay, that's, that's not right. But there is showing just this, the urgency here. The leper then implores him. He begs and pleads to Jesus. He bows down on his knees before Jesus. And he puts his desire in these words. He says, if you will. But then what the important part is, he says, you can make me clean. Um, interesting, he doesn't cry out, like I said, unclean, unclean. So he's violating Levitical law. But then he does use the same word, clean. He says, Jesus, you can make me clean. Um, in this great, I guess, very distress, he didn't want anyone to stop him 
from coming to the one, this is important, I think who he recognized uh, is someone that could do what no one else could do for him, which was namely healing, uh, heal him of his leprosy. Now, no doubt this person, this man, would have heard of all the other miracles that Jesus had been doing up to this point and knew that Jesus could heal him. It's, it's, it, this is his prayer. If you will, you can make me clean. can make me clean. So we see some humility and submission, but we see that this man is coming forward in, in faith, knowing that Jesus can heal him. And this, that, that he has this firm conviction, you know, that Christ has um, the power to heal, to heal him. Um, this clean, to make me clean, remember we, we've already talked about this concept of clean. Mark is using this language um, intentionally throughout the gospel. And we talked about it in verse 1, uh, was it 23, when Jesus, uh, yeah, verse 21, when Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Here we have again an unclean. So it's this clean, unclean motif, which actually started back when we were talking about John the Baptist. The Baptist, in his purification baptism, we looked at clean and unclean, the Old Testament, and now what this purification was that John was doing. And then ultimately what Jesus does makes us clean. So it's this clean, unclean motif we're still seeing here. Okay? So unclean leper. So you can make me clean. Okay. Any questions about that so far? Clean, unclean, leprosy. All right. So let's move on here to verse 41 through 42. Now this is my, this is my thing here. I've already talked about it, but I'm going to talk about it again. So uh, verse 41, we see this. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So the prayer and the entire we have to say the, the, the way this man with leprosy approached Jesus. I mean, obviously, this, this whole thing had to have an impression on, on Jesus, troubled him deeply. But now this word, okay, in verse 41. I love this word, okay? Moved with pity. You guys see the word? Move with pity. Well, really, though, in the Greek, and I've talked about this before. I talked about a sermon, but I want to go over it again today because I think it's really cool. So the word pity here can also be translated as compassion, okay? So Jesus had compassion. He extended his hand. He touched him. He said, become clean. Okay. This word, uh, compassion, you know, we hear this throughout. We either hear pity or compassion throughout Scripture. And we've got to be really careful with this word because when we think about compassion, it's the first thing, you know, oh, I have compassion. The first thing we ha- think of is kind of this emotion, right? It's an emotional or a feeling. But when this term, when, when, our, when it's talking about Jesus in the Bible throughout all the gospel, when they link compassion up with Jesus, I want us to look at it this way. It means more than an emotion or a feeling. Um, and, and I get this from, uh, uh, I mean, it, it, when you look at the, the, the Greek word, the Greek word is splachnisomai. Splachnisomai comes from the, the, the word splachna, right? Splachna. It really is translated as 
Splachnisomai uh, is the verb to be to move the inward parts, inward parts, hearts, lungs, and kidney. But it's even a deeper meaning that when you look at the, really the etymology of splachna, it's the inward parts, hearts, lungs, and kidneys that are being removed. Okay. So again, I talked about this in a sermon. President Matt Harrison does a really good job on this on this concept in his book, Christ Have Mercy. If you guys haven't read that book, it's an excellent book. I, I strongly say. So this is where uh, Matt Harrison says, and another other Greek guys that are um, you know experts in the Greek language. This actually is an onomatopoeia word in the Greek, splachna. Think about that, splach. It sounds like splat. And the reason it is, is because it means the spilling out of inward parts. I know it's a little graphic. Sorry, we just ate. But think about that. If you were to sacrifice an animal and open the animal up, what's the sound when the, it's the spark, right? And that's where this term comes from. It's a sound, though. President Harrison writes about this book. It's a sound that it, it further explains that sound that you actually would hear in the temple over and over as the sacrifices are brought to the altar. altar the animal was cut open and the blood and the inward spill out. Splack, splack, nisomai. It's a sound of bleeding and dying. You can see where I'm going with this with Jesus, right? All right, and that's what this compassion is that Jesus now will have. And we, when we see this word throughout the compassion, we feeds the four thousand. This word is going to come up over and over, and that's what Jesus's compassion is. It's just not this emotional feeling. It's really as though it's pouring out his life for the life of another. And in the New Testament, splachdismai is only used to describe. Really, the attitude of Jesus, and then it characterizes the divine nature of his act. So normally, when we see this word compassion, when it's uh, referencing Jesus, there's two aspects of it. One, it's Jesus has this compassion, all right, which I talked about. And two, then it is always followed by action, okay? And so, and Jesus has compassion, you know, we look at it for us. Jesus has compassion for us. He is willing to be poured out for us. His blood and his life is everything that splackness of mine. He has compassion for us. He dies for us and he offers himself as the sacrifice that appeases God. So always think about this word. It's very cool. Splackness of mine. When you see this pity or compassion, when it's, uh, when it's referenced to Jesus, it's, very, it's a really deep meaning here. So that's what we have here, Jesus, in um, um, verse uh, 141. He had compassion on this leper. And then what, he do, what, did he, what does he do? He heals him. Okay, He heals him of the leprosy. He said, um, I will. And he says, be clean. It's interesting he uses the language, be clean, as opposed to I heal you. But again, I think this is Mark uh, keeping it within this clean, unclean motif. So, okay. Any questions on that? Again, it's a good book. Uh, Matt Harrison, um, Christ Have Mercy. Pretty good read. If anybody's interested in that. Okay. So then, after the leper is made clean or healed... 
verse 42, what happens here? Now, this immediately, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Okay, another immediate language we've heard before. Immediately the leprosy left him. You know, there's no question about this. That Jesus spoke, it happened, right? There's no interval waiting. So, and, and, and this is being seen. So immediately left him. Um, but then this, there's kind of a change of what happens here. Kind of a curveball comes in here. In verse 42, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Okay, so this is a little tough to understand, so let me take it through here. So again, this kind of seems strange at first. So he speaks to the leper, kind of really sternly says, very hard to him, um, maybe even threatening to him. And he says, you know, do not, don't tell anyone about this yet, even though we can assume it was seen. But I don't want you to go out bragging or anything at this point about this. You've got to do this. You must follow the command of the Levitical purification laws. That's what he's saying here. So let me take this. Let me take you through this here. So um, that's what, what he says. You need to go show yourself to the priests. And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. And this comes from Leviticus 13 and 14. I'll show you here in a minute. So it was for this reason that Jesus wanted this man, who's now not a leper anymore, to go into the temple and to show himself to the priest. Because under the Levitical law, it was up to the priest, really, to determine if the man was truly clean and without leprosy. And without this kind of um, declaration from the priest of the temple, no one who had leprosy or supposedly became healed of it or it was gone or whatever uh, could be clean unless this process took place. Um, so you, you had to get a kind of a declaration from the priest that number one, you could come back into society, and then number two, that you could go into the temple. And without that, if this man didn't do this, he would have you know, been ostracized still and would have to stay out of town, couldn't go to the temple. Although we don't know what happens to this leper because he doesn't follow through on the instructions. But just to put this in context, when you read this, what this means then. Um, the first act then, if you could, turn to Leviticus 14. It's on page 184 of your Lutheran Study Bible. Just a little interesting. It's kind of a side note here. I mean, I'm not putting too much. But when I first read this, I was like, I'm not quite sure what that did until I had to kind of study more about really what was going on here. So look at Leviticus 14. So there's two kind of two acts that go on here. And this is what Jesus has instructed this man, this former leper to do. So you see the title here in our, in our Bible under chapter 14 is what? Laws for cleansing leprosy. So this is what Jesus is having this man do. Follow these laws. So the first first big long paragraph here would be 1 through 9. Um, let's see. So here's what you're supposed to do. Okay, in verse 2. The leper shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. 
Then if the case of leprosy then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, okay, so that's where we are with this man, what Jesus did, right? What the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in the heaven or in the earthware vessel over fresh water. So really what's going on here, it's this first kind of, he comes to the priest. If there's an allegation that the man's been healed of leprosy, the priest then makes his own physical inspection. And if the priest then says, yeah, yeah, the man is clean, then they move on to sacrifice and they take the two birds here. And I'm not going to go all through of it, but this is, uh, so then once this sacrifice happens, then the priest, if you see on verse 7, kind of 7b, then the priest shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go and the other in the field. So, and he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. On the seventh day, then he shall shave off his hair from his head, his beard and his eyebrows, shave off all his hair, wash his clothes, bathe his body. Okay, and he shall be clean. So that's the first part, okay? The second then is after the seventh day, there's another kind of rich, uh, another sacrifice that goes on. And on the eighth day, she'll take two male lambs and without blemish and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish. And then they go through this whole sacrificial process again. And I'm not going to read through it all because it goes on quite, quite a bit. And then if you look in 14, so in verse 10, this is kind of the, the second sacrifice. And then verse 21 says, but if you're poor and you can't do this, we'll do it this way. So it's this whole second sacrifice that they do. And then it's at the end of this, this one, this second one, the eighth one, is when there, this person who had leprosy would be, have, be clean. To, it's restoring then his ability to enter the temple. So it's kind of this two phase. One, the first phase, inspection, then you're, you're, you're declared clean. Uh, but you you can you can live, but then with some restrictions. But if you want to get in the temple, there's this other sacrifice going on. Okay, so that kind of puts it in perspective of, of what Jesus is saying here. To the that's when when Jesus says, um, and Jesus sternly charged him. This is verse forty three. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say no nothing to anyone, but go, sow yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Okay, so that's the context of what's going on here. So, but there's two things for this, okay? Do you think Jesus, I mean, you know, you think, okay, well, Jesus didn't want this man to say anything, sends him in. You know, but we can see there's a little bit more of this going on because at the end of this verse, 44, he does say to go follow this, the Levitical requirements. But then he says, for a proof to them. So this, I think, can also is really putting another element onto this that you are going to follow. Let's follow the Old Testament requirements. I want you to do this. But then I think there's a second part where he tells them to go to the priests. Proof to them can also be seen as Jesus Sending this man to the priests who are by this time are clearly becoming hostile to Jesus about what he's proclaiming and then what he's doing. And he's sending them because it's, 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 it's more evidentiary proof of who 
Jesus is the identity of Jesus, that this is a man that's really healing. This is uh, God in the flesh, okay? So send him to the priest. I think this could be another reason. Uh, reason why you know Jesus is really sending them there, but two 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 reasons there, uh, doing the uh, Levitical Old Testament requirements of becoming clean, and then really is proof to these priests of who this Jesus is and what he's doing. And then at the end here, I'm not going to get too much farther into it. Uh, I've kind of taken too much time on this, anyways. But then, the, what does the the leper do? <laughs> he doesn't follow uh, in in his fullness and joy. He dis- disregards the Lord command and. Goes out and broadcast, obviously, to everybody here. That's what he said, spreading the news. And he do, it does so, so much then that Jesus could not no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So, okay, so this is like uh, something going viral on the Internet today, right? The way I kind of see this, this really went viral at this point. So, hmm. Any questions? Yes, we've got a couple here. Just wondering, we say that leprosy is an incurable disease. I mean, how often were people cured and how were they cured back in that day? Yeah, I know. I didn't think about that. Because there is clearly a, a a process for going that if you had leprosy. I don't know. I have to follow up on that. I don't know. I, maybe it was. I don't, why, if they had these purification, I don't know. Maybe, I, but that, that is an interest. I didn't think about that, but that's true. Very interesting. But it was curable in this account because Jesus said, yeah, "There you go. Good point. Right. That's good." Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I when I yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Spiritual or leprosy does have the physical, but I think a lot of times there is a spiritual leprosy, which we all have, right? We see that motif very much. So that's exactly right. Yeah, and then the the uh, the same uh, clean unclean motif comes into that too, right? We do have the spiritual leprosy, right? And it's because what Jesus does, he makes us clean. He heals us of our spiritual leprosy, right? When our faith, when he gives us faith and we're baptized, we are healed of our spiritual leprosy in that sense. So that's a great point, Barry. Yeah, very much so. Good, good. Any other comments? Or I don't even know if leprosy is still around today. I mean, is it? Do we know? It is? Okay. Really? So it is around, okay. We haven't come up with a vaccine for it? Hmm? No vaccine. Well, if you ever get around with someone with leprosy, um, make sure they yell, unclean, unclean. All right. I think I saw another hand. Chris, did you have a hand? Or? Oh, just or the, the, the ritual was to be cleansed by the blood of the bird, one of the birds, so that being similar, I guess, to the... Uh, Baptism and the absolutely, yeah. All these sacrifices being cleansed of the blood. I mean, that's 
It's so rich. This is, this is what Jesus says, the Lamb of God who has sacrificed his blood, takes away this, the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, that motif is huge too. Yeah, that's very good. Very good. Offer your cleansing for what Moses commanded. And that's what Jesus does now. He offers his cleansing on, as, as he is the ultimate sacrifice. So, yeah, good, good. Perfect. Pretty cool stuff, right? Any other any other questions on that? Yes, Barry. Yeah, one other quick thought. Um, <coughs> Jesus me. says, "Go and tell no one. Go directly to the, the priest." Yet earlier in Mark, we saw that he was famous throughout the land, and people were coming to him. So, it must not be that he wanted to not go viral, but there must have been another reason. It was that. Did he knew? Did he know he wasn't going to go to the priest? <laughs> yeah, I, we would have to assume so. But yeah, that is. It's part of this so secretly uh, secrecy kind of narrative that's going on. We'll notice that Jesus says that a lot to people. Don't you know? I guess ultimately, is it because because of the this stuff was going viral? That's right. Yeah. Or maybe it's uh, you know the secrecy on the the healings and stuff that. That's not, let's don't have that go viral. Let's go have viral, which we're going to see uh, this next pericope especially. You know, I want it to go viral about what I'm teaching and saying. <laughs> okay, could be, yeah, but that's good. But we do see that a lot throughout the gospel. The gospels is this, this secrecy to what Jesus is telling them. So good point. Yeah, and with this guy too, the leper, he tells him, hey, say nothing to no one. Go, you know, but go and and did did he know? Did he know that number one, the guy was going to tell everybody, and two, that he wasn't going to go? I'm, you know, I would think he probably did, but uh, at least he wanted. Uh, yeah, very interesting. He told him to do it, and he didn't do it. But okay, any further comments on that? Well, let's try to make it through. Jesus here healing. A paralytic. So we'll go on now to chapter 2. So we finished one chapter. Okay, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Excuse me. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. No doubt on that, right? (laughs) We never saw anything like this. Okay, so let's jump into this a bit here. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So, when uh, Jesus, when he returned to, it says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, okay, um, this is interesting. Up, up in Mark here, Mark really omits a lot of the gospel story that happens here. Matthew has a lot to say before we get to this. In fact, Matthew, this account of paralytic doesn't come until like chapter 9. Uh, Luke, it's in chapter 5. So really, there's been a lot of things that have happened uh, between Jesus cleansing the leper and then the paralytic. So there is some time between between this. We don't want to know why Mark didn't include it in, but the other Gospels have other things that are going on. Uh, significantly, um, uh, what's happened during this time frame is, time frame is uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, okay, that happened. So we, this, this comes after the sermon. So there's, there are some things missing. Again, we don't, we don't know why. But it, it has been some days since the, the leper. I do have a map here. I'll just pap it out, pass it out real quick just to kind of see um, where, what's going on, where Jesus is. Chris, can I have you throw that back there? Thank you. Can you hand me one? <laughs> okay. So this this is the, just taken out of the Lutheran Study Bible here. Um, so you can see the map here where Capernaum is. I've drawn a, a black arrow. It's kind of nor- northern Jerusalem, and Judea would be south. I got a kind of an arrow going to Jerusalem. So Jesus, though, in in this time frame here, okay, we know in, in this Capernaum area, right? This is kind of where he started, we see up here. So during this time, between the healing of the leper and then uh, now to this paralytic, he's kind of been in this whole region where this box is. Um, On the the Sermon on the Mount, we can see the Sea of Galilee. It would have been to to the right, up in the hills, maybe up on that side. So Jesus then had kind of gone around the Sea of Galilee. Some commentators say he either traveled by boat or they walked around. And then, then, he, then now he, he's been kind of this region. Now he's come back. So there is a little bit of time here in between this. And, and he's kind of traveled um, throughout this area some. So I just kind of wanted to note that. Interesting other things going on in the other Gospels. Uh, so maybe... Uh, if you study the book of Matthew or something, <laughs> we, we, I don't have time to get into all these to get through Mark today. So, so a lot of stuff happened. And again, significantly, the big one was Sermon on the Mount. Okay. But we don't have that, but it's okay. So anyways, after some days, after quite a while then, Jesus, we see here, uh, came again to Capernaum, comes back. Um, as soon as, as I guess, the, the people here, he's now come back to this area. We've got another kind of mass. So rumor, Jesus is back, and then all we have here is we've got this spread. We have the whole city knows. And what are they doing? They're, they're coming coming to see Jesus, and he's been gone. They're back. So this kind of explains this mass hysteria going on. Jesus is back in town, so we've got um, the crowds here. And we see here, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, 
it was reported that he was at home. This isn't a big deal. I was like, he's at home. What is this? It's kind of some debate over the, what this means. Some commentators say that he went back at Simon Peter's house. But Linsky, I'm looking at his book, is adamant that, this, for, that Jesus had his own house and that it, where his mother, Mary, lived and other relatives. Again, it has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to bring that up with you. What's going on here with Simpson at home? The study note on 2.1 here, if you look at that, I mean, with the, if you have your Lutheran study Bible, study note says, At home, Jesus' practice of preaching within a domestic setting is described here. I think that's the point. We don't know. But it, this then, the commentary says, or the, the footnote says, set a precedent for his followers. For the next 300 years, Christian worship services actually took place in house churches. So kind of cool side note on home. But again, whether it's Peter's home or Jesus's, I don't know. But I thought it was interesting that Linsky thinks that it was Jesus' house. Okay, so verse 2 then and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So uh, clearly this home was packed and outside. Um, uh, Mark makes it specific about the door being blocked because that sets up the story then for the paralytic having to get him in the house. Just kind of did a lot of reading on this. This, For what it's worth, archaeological evidence, digs in this area and stuff. Seen some interesting stuff that these um, they they have discovered houses in this area. In fact, someone thinks that they've actually discovered this exact house, but uh, don't know. Uh, but they were one-story homes. They were um, they kind of they were constructed then with these. And Luke tells us more mentions tiles. There's kind of tiles, and I'm not sure what that would mean if it's like our ceramic tiles or not. But then it's covered with sod. The combs could have been angled, so one side kind of came down closer uh, to the floor level. Uh, so that would kind of explain how they get up to get the paralytic in. Other guys, other homes had it were um, up against. Um, so if there was a kind of a hill, it'd be up against a hill. You could get on the house that way. Or they've even found some homes that had kind of a natural staircase and they went up to the top. So just for what it's worth, that was very common in this area. Um, okay, so that was the home here, crowded. And what was Jesus doing again? He was preaching the word to them. In this word, it says preaching the word. We know that that's logos in Greek. And really the sense of this, this word, word, <laughs> it really means a sense of a message or account in this sense. So preaching this word, we know it is the good news, right? The gospel. And again, Mark has said that before, said it one fourteen in the very beginning. That's what Jesus was doing. Again, this was Jesus' chief work. He's, okay. Verse uh, 2, 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic given or carried by four men. We're not given the details of what caused this man to have this paralysis. But, I mean, the clear thing is, obviously, he could not move without help. Four men are carrying him on a map, a mat or some kind of transportation device. He's being carried. So, couldn't walk on his own, had a paralysis. Four men were bringing to bring him in. We don't know much about the four men. A lot of commentators assume that they knew this man and were this man's friend. Um, really, uh, don't know much. But it was there were clearly four men that were willing to bring him there. Okay. Uh, verse four here. Okay. 
Verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed on which the paralytic they let down the bed on which the paralytic man lay. Again, based on kind of archaeological information, I said you know a lot of people are saying, well, how do they get the guy up on to the top anyway? Again, based on archaeological findings, they they could have gotten on the roof very easily. I think that was the point of that. Um, Four men get to the top. It's this, uh, again, these clay tiles maybe have soil, so they dig through it, and they open the roof, and they let the man down. Uh, why couldn't they get in the front door? Um, I think uh, also there's no, there's, a lot of these homes have these interesting kind of patio things to them with there, and the, the commentators are speculating that the crowds, it actually, when it says the door, kind of inside, but still all the way on the outside in this patio-type area they had that, you know, they couldn't get the paralytic man through. So that's why they've got to come through the roof. So, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to this section, and I, I'm just getting ready to get, get to the good parts, but I can't, I'm not going to be able to finish it, unfortunately. Again, this stuff's kind of background stuff, but this is where it gets really cool. There's a lot of good stuff here I want to talk about. This word, this forgiven, and what's going on here. Um, so I apologize, I didn't get to get through that. But next time, though, we'll start up here um, with really the climactic stuff in here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." So that, I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger for next time. So, all right. Well, thank you all very much. I'll let you go. The Lord be with you. Lord, Lord. So,